Hello and welcome to this episode of Superhero Ethics. Today, myself and Paul Hoppy are kind of giving you a triple header. We're going to be doing a listener feedback episode, by which I mean that we got a great question about Guardians of the Galaxy, which we're mostly going to be talking about. And the questions about Guardians of the Galaxy and animal rights, which is something that's very dear to Paul Hoppy's heart, something that is very dear to my heart in large part because of my friendship with Paul. And, and so we're kind of doing both of those things. We're doing Guardians, we're doing animal rights, we're doing listener feedback. We will have another piece of listener feedback to talk about as well. All that more after a commercial break. We have no control over. Welcome back. I'm Matthew. I'm your host. As I said, I'm joined by former host, former regular guest, now semi-regular guest, Paul Hoppy. Paul, how are we doing tonight? Doing pretty well. Yeah, it's, you know, it's getting up in the 90s every day in Vegas now, so <laughs> it's, it's not my favorite time of year, but... Uh, fair, yeah. fair. Yeah, we're, we're a balmy 60 here in uh, Minnesota, so we're I'm nice. quite loving the weather here, but yeah. we'll, we'll have 90 for two weeks. Well, you know, right, yeah, months, yeah. So. Sounds unbearable. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, this is going to be kind of a, an interesting episode, and... I think the best way to start it is with a piece of listener feedback we got, because I will admit, I had not been planning to watch the new Guardians of the Galaxy movie. I They've never been my favorite part of the MCU. I really didn't like the second movie, and I'm a little bit on MCU burnout, and I don't mean that in any way to be critical of people who still love everything the MCU does. I still like a lot of things, but like for example, I haven't seen the new Ant-Man movie yet. I just didn't really feel a need to. Um, I've also just been feeling like I enjoy movies a lot more when I can sit at home and not go into the theaters. But then I was finding the discussion about the movie online really interesting. And then we got this listener email from Sophia Lim. And Sophia writes, Hi, Matthew. I love your <clears throat> I love your superhero ethics podcast, and I'm writing to ask if you plan to do an episode talking about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. I love hearing you and Paul Hoppy talk about the... I think hearing you and Paul Hoppy talk about this movie would be a great discussion, especially because Paul is such a big proponent of animal rights, and this movie has a lot of animal cruelty in it. I know you don't often cover movies right when they're released in theaters, but I hope that sometime in the future you'll consider an episode on it. Have a great day, Sophia Lim, she they. Uh, which, by the way, also awesome, including your pronouns. As someone who uses pronouns that were not what people would expect of me, they, them, I always just really appreciate when people just kind of normalize, like, let's everyone should just use pronouns. You know, tell us what your pronouns are. So... Putting that aside, though, so I decided to go watch the movie, and um, big spoilers for that. Well, we're not going to spoil too much of the significant plot details, but but I think we're going to spoil some of the general themes, and which are that the movie includes, as Sophia said, quite a lot of animal cruelty, but it is not presented from an exploitative standpoint. It's really presented from a standpoint of, hey, people watching this, like the way humans treat animals in our own world, let alone in this world, is wrong and bad. And and I think that's where really we're going to talk about it from. But we're going to do something interesting because we're going to be talking about this movie and, and mostly talking about the issues that it raises. And one of the two of us, Paul, <laughs> hasn't seen the movie yet. And I think that that alone is a really interesting question that helps to get into why we're talking about this today and, and the kind of discussion we're going to have. And so, Paul, let me kind of just start by asking you this. Like, you're someone who is on record as, you know, talking a lot about you You get really upset sometimes when animals are treated poorly in the fiction that we watch uh, and you really want them to be treated better. Here's a movie that is about um, animals being treated poorly, but that's kind of the whole point because it's about 
drawing attention to something that you and I think a lot of other folks, myself included, really care about in terms of the the entitlement that humans have towards animals and animal lives and animal suffering and all the like. So why haven't you seen this movie? Yeah. So other I mean, than the fact that you, you're not going to go, you don't go to theaters in general, but like sure. Sure. So, Why are you so th- planning to not see this movie even when it comes out on digital? Yeah. So, so like you, I, I've got my share of MCU burnout where I'm just like, I'm, I'm just going to put it down for a moment. Maybe I'll watch like all the movies in a row in a year or something. Like mm-hmm. I, it took me forever to watch Wakanda forever. And I finally watched it. And I was like, okay, that's supposedly the end of a phase or something. So maybe that's a good point to kind of just be like, I'll take a break. Um, mm-hmm. but also I, you know, I haven't been, I haven't seen, uh, a movie in the theater since Birds of Prey. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's been a minute. Um, and I thought about like, would I go to see this movie specifically so that I could talk about it? And then you brought up the idea of like, you could watch it and then we could talk about kind of some things that happened and, and how it handles things. Right. And I think that can often like, I think sometimes that leads to a really good dis- discussion, right? Like we've done that right. with some Star Wars novels where I'm just the kind of like, Illiterate, illiterate, like I didn't read the book, like you all tell me about the book and I'll ask some questions and um, I, I can actually read them. But so here, though, there's there's like a there's another level of aside from, you know, not really wanting to go see a movie in a theater, aside from not being super amped to see another MCU movie right now. <clears throat> also, you know, if there's a lot of depictions of animal cruelty in it, like Given my understanding about the way the movie handles that, I think it's great that it exists. And I think hopefully it will have an effect on people. Um, but I'm like, I don't feel like I'm that audience of, you know, I don't think I'm the person who needs something to have that effect on me. And it, it to me, it would likely just be an unpleasant experience for most of it. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, it's it's sort of like seeing images of violence in our in our own world, right, where um, it's important to know that these things happen. And sometimes seeing something for the first time can have a, a profound effect. And however, I think at a certain point, it's like, all right, that's enough. I understand that this exists. I feel it on a visceral level. And I don't need a, a constant visual reminder of it, you know, to keep in my mind that like, yeah, that's a thing and it's awful and I want to do something about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I, I remember first being a little surprised, but the more I thought about it, that makes total sense to me. Because I know like in a similar way, when I met my partner, Mary, um, you know, she like I is queer and we were talking a lot about queer themes and stuff. And she was saying like, yeah, she she didn't want to see any fiction where characters died of AIDS, you know, or, mm, or yeah. died of gay bashing, you know, yeah. and, and the, the point being like that, that she'd been exposed to lots and lots of that and had really, you know, been immersed in that world and, and was a part of that world herself and as a, as a person, an activist and, 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 and a person who believed in all these things and was like, I don't, yeah, maybe it's great if other people are seeing this and, but, but I don't need to, I don't need to see it again to be reminded of why this is terrible. Yeah. And I know I've heard similar things from like, you know, black creator, Black creators on here who say things like, "Look, like I don't, I don't need to watch another video of someone like me being shot by the police or something like that." Um, and and I'll, I'll I'll say I feel the same way. Like I don't yeah. need to see another shot of someone being shot by the police. Like mm-hmm. I yeah, because you I I mean, get it. It's horrible. Like, I, I, <laughs> let's do something about it. Yeah, like I I think that's the thing is because I think like, and here's the thing of like I don't want to judge this for anybody else or say like this group should always do it. This group should never do it. Whatever. But like. 
to me, I mean, watching this movie, I definitely had a visceral reaction of like being reminded of just how horrible our world is to animals and everything from like the, you know, you know, the meat industry and then the, the, you know, the way animals treated there, but especially like what this movie really kind of about is animal ex- a- a- experimentation and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, and in horrible timing, for example, the, uh, Britain just changed their regulations to start allowing businesses to do experiments on animals again, um, which uh, I guess none of them had seen the movie. Um, but like, and, and yeah, to me, like I was still at a point where like, yeah, the movie, it, it was hard to watch at times. I think not as hard as it might've been for others because I have seen a lot worse, uh, with animals in terms of my own research of these things. But yeah, but I, but I had that visceral reaction like, okay, this is a reminder to me that I need to be doing more on this subject. Mm. And I think that there's something to be said for like, here, here's what I would say. And I'm wondering if you would feel the same way. To me, that means I don't think the movie went too far. Like, I think it is a good thing that the movie is doing that in the same way that, like, I, you know, like, I, I don't want to stop having movies about, you know, people dying of AIDS, especially gay men in the 80s and 90s, because it happened all the time. And it's important for people to see that and to know that and to not hide from that. Yeah. Um, it's just like it's important to see, you know, racism existing and sexism existing and stuff like that. But kind of what 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 is your feeling of it of like. If you hear that there's a, a, a movie that is about animal rights and is about sort of pushing people to do animal more animal compassion, and it involves a lot of scenes of animal cruelty, does that strike to you as like, okay, that's – even if it's not what you want to see, that's probably a good thing to help move people? Is it something like you'd rather not have that in the movie? What What's kind yeah. of the feeling there? Yeah. I mean if – so first of all, th- there's a whole thing about like movies that are centered around trying to make a point. That I think Mm -hmm. is just fundamentally challenging in like how to go about making a movie. And I tend to not very often enjoy those movies that have some point that's like front and center. You know, I I like there to be themes and I really want movies to make people think about things. Right. Mm -hmm. And then kind of people can can end up where they end up. Um, But again, I I haven't seen this movie, so I won't won't speak to how it handles that. But in terms of – Let me actually say something about that. I think that's something I should be very clear for for the audience. Due to that, I think what we're going to try and do here is use Guardians as a jumping off point to talk about these topics in general. Yeah. Because I think, yeah, my saying to you, well, here's my interpretation of what happens. So do you think this movie did a good job? Like that's silly. Right. Because it's all going to be through my own experience and, 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 and my own view of it. So, but yeah, this is, so this is so, not like, like in a question like this, I'm not saying like, so do you think James Gunn used cruelty to animals right. well or not well? Because you don't know. You haven't seen it. Exactly. But just, okay, so this movie did that. Let's get to the general question then. Yeah. So like, I think war movies should have blood in them, right? Yeah. Like, I think, especially anti-war movies. I mean, I guess pro-war movies, you probably don't want to show the blood, you know, yeah. you just want to see the the enemies getting blown up and then you're like, yay. But you know, I mean, having recently watched the Top Gun movies, I'm like, oh, there's there's, there's no blood there, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but as opposed to, say, Private Ryan or or I tried to watch All Quiet on the Western Front and I started it and I was just like, not today. You know, yeah. I was like, I'm sure this might be a great movie and it's in German and I love that and I'd really enjoy watching it uh, some day. But like that wasn't the day, you know. Yeah. And, and and I remember so there's a tangent, but we go yeah. back to it. Ignoring the last five minutes, to me, one of the things that made 
95% of Saving yeah. Ro- Private Ryan such a good movie was that until that point, movies that the only war movies that were really very bloody and gory were mm-hmm. Vietnam movies. Right. And there was this kind of this idea of like Vietnam is a morally questionable war, so war looks ugly and terrible. World War II was the noble good war, so the warfare looks like noble and good. And when the people die, they, you know, say a, a, a quirky line to their buddy as they, you know, right. you know, die or they just sit and smoke a cigarette that a pretty nurse gives them in the hospital or whatever it is. And so to see like, yeah, this is World War II. We're fighting the literal Nazis and it's still bloody and horrible and terrible. It was kind of groundbreaking in a way. Um, anyway, that very much on a tangent, but you want to underline that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, all war is hell, and just because yep. you're fighting the bad guys doesn't make you always unequivocally the good guys, right? Like, yep. impossible. Like, like you can't do horrible things as well, um, which I think World War II actually demonstrates quite well. But, yep. yeah, so I think, I think if you tried to make a movie like this and you kind of just, like, talked about the horrible things – Mm-hmm. Like that would make it maybe easier for me to watch, right? And I think there's a place for that, but I think there's also a place for being very explicit, you know. And I, I mean, right. I think this is something that comes up also with, um, like movies that that cover like sexual assault, right? Mm-hmm. Where I think a lot of people feel like a lot of times those sorts of scenes are very exploitative, and right. also just a lot of people are like I don't, I don't want to watch that. Right. Yeah. And I think that's fair. But I also think that there's a place for showing the horrors of anything that you're trying to show the horrors of. Right. You know, and in terms of the horrors of animal cruelty in blockbuster movies, like it hasn't really been done a whole lot. You know, often there's an amount of animal cruelty that just goes like laughed at even. Right. And and so I I think that that's, you know, it's it's pretty bold to say, like, yeah, this is, you know, this is an MCU film. This is a Disney film, you know, I mean, in terms of the parent company, like and and I mean, Disney's always had these like anthropomorphic animals that are like their main characters, you know. Mm -hmm. So it actually kind of feels like maybe that's the right company to like be like, no, we're going to do something that's for mass audiences. Right. And. We're going to show the reality of, and of course, it's not actually the reality because it's it's in space and you know right. uh, talking raccoons, and, <laughs> talking all raccoons yeah. and all this, right? But but showing, I mean, I, I I read a few articles about it, and I know like Peta gave James Gunn like a, an award for like you know mm-hmm. making a movie like this and and having getting details right, like you know the the animals having numbers tattooed on them and being referred to by numbers, right, not yeah. by names and. Um, because that like, literally happens in a lot of places where animals are experimented on or or feed animals and things like that. Yeah, exactly. And and so I do, I do think there's value to like hitting people with with the full force of it. You know, I, I think yeah. there's value there. I think it's the sort of thing where it's like I don't want everything about animal rights or that's against animal cruelty to vividly show that mm-hmm. because I think there's also value in having things that – some other people might want to watch and be like, oh, that's too much. I don't want to watch that one. But like then maybe there's another entry point for them. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I do think – and again here, I'm, I'm going to talk about Guardians not to ask you to evaluate it but just to give mm-hmm. them some context and lead into a large conversation. Like what you're saying about the movies that make a point, um, I tend to be a little bit fonder of those than a lot of other people. But even I would agree. Like if it, it feels too much like you're making the point instead of making a movie, it's a problem. In this, it feels very earned. 
because it is primarily what we're seeing is Rocket's backstory. Right. And Rocket's a character who we've now had for three Guardians movies, as well as significant parts of other movies, particularly yeah. the Avengers movies. And we've always gotten some hints that he had terrible things happen to him in the past and that that is part of why he is who he is. And so getting now to have that really explored and, and they uh, I won't spoil it, but they do some like character things where basically like uh, they have to learn more about his history in order to help him in the present. Mm. It wound up making it feel very earned and very relative, real to the story. Yeah. And I think that's super important whenever you're trying to like make a point. It's like, is this point kind of something that you wanted to make and then you came up with a story to try and make that point? And then often I think you're going to get something that feels very artificial or did you have a story to tell and there's a point in the story, like there's a point to the story, right? And and so it's organic storytelling that involves making a larger point. Um, I think that's always going to it's first of all, it's just going to be a better story. And I think when you yeah. have a better story, it's going to hit better. Like your point is going to land better when it, like when it's not like you're just like writing an essay. Right. Yeah. And then like having some characters read the essay. It's like, no, this is a story and it shows you. Right. As opposed to just yeah. tells you about something. And I think it's important to acknowledge that like that question there is one that is incredibly subjective. And then I think depending on. I think a lot of factors will decide how much you, an individual person, thinks that the story has earned the points that it's making. And I think a lot of that has to do with storytelling itself. I also do think a lot of that has to do with how comfortable you are with the point that's being made. And I, I, yeah. I, I certainly think that it is one of the easiest ways to dismiss a movie that has something like that is like, oh, it's just pandering. Like they're just writing right. you know, female characters or black characters or whatever to pander instead of mm-hmm. like, yeah. You know, and I obviously have a bias in that particular question and lean pretty hard to one side. But but I think I, I'm not trying to say I don't I can't draw where the objective line is. But right. I think that it's important to say like that is a really important question to ask as well as to say that like like a lot of questions, there's also a lot of disingenuousness that can sometimes go into that question being brought up. Yeah, for sure. But like – it's – I think it's a legitimate question and yeah, like a sure. lot of nuance, nuance, it gets weaponized these days, right? Yeah. Like – but yeah, there's there's definitely movies that make points that I totally agree with and I'm like, I think you're doing disservice to this point, you know, or just are hard to watch. As a tangent, but I think it's helpful. I'd love to hear from you. What is an example of one where you think – the point was really well integrated into the story and mm. one where you were like, I agree with you, but can, can you just tell me a story instead of beating me over the head with this? Right. Well, so like the first Avatar movie, not the Airbender, but like mm-hmm. the, the Avatar movie, like, you know, I mean, yes, it's a savior story also, but it's right. also anti-colonialist, right? It's anti-exploiting a planet for its resources and not caring what you're doing to the, the population mm-hmm. there. And like, I agree with that point. Like, yeah, don't do that. But like, yeah, I, I did. It, it felt heavy handed and I, I just didn't really enjoy the story very much. You yeah. know, I mean, it, it looked pretty, but um, in terms of one that really does a good job of making those points, I mean, I'm going to, I have two examples, neither of which are, I think, primarily trying to make those points. One of them is going to be Andor where, mm-hmm. 
I don't <clears> think Andor is like, this is the point I want to make. I don't think Tony Gilroy was like, I want to make these points. Right. I think Tony Gilroy is a person who's read a lot of stuff and thought about a lot of things and had a story to tell and is telling that story and integrating a lot of those points into that story. Right. Yeah. And so I think those things also like the story is literally about like fighting against authoritarianism. So mm-hmm. when you're, mm-hmm. you know, and, and this, this colonial power, right. The empire. Yeah. And, and so it's like, it's not too on the nose to call it what it is. Right. It's like, you can literally just show it because that is actually what the story was always about. <laughs> right? right. From the first Star Wars, Star Wars movie. Um, and then another movie that I actually, <laughs> I'm going to see whether I can get you to finally try watching this one again. Uh, but I would say Gross Point Blank. Like, mm, okay. Gross Point Blank is about a hitman who goes to his 10-year high school reunion. And like, uh, sure, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but mm. And it's a comedy, you know. But it's got a lot of like, you know, leftist, like, anti-authoritarian, anti-war type Mm -hmm. messaging in it that's just kind of like worked in there i feel like not super heavy-handed partially because it's a comedy you know but um i think a lot of times i mean you can have something like andor where it's like it is about fighting against an empire quite literally but i think also sometimes you can just have characters who have certain viewpoints and they can express those viewpoints in ways that at least are going to make the audience think Mm -hmm. and um, and when you do, I think that's, that's sometimes I think that's potentially more effective because it's yeah. just like, you're, you're telling a, a, a compelling story and then you're weaving some, some things into it, you know? And I guess if you want to go with the MCU, like, I feel like the winter soldier does a, a pretty decent job of that. Yeah. You know, I think it's fair. Yeah. Like I say, I think the MCU has been for the most part, pretty good. <clears throat> about 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 these things not always by any means like to me what the one of the ones that i would go to most often is ms marvel because mm. i'm sorry I, well ms marvel i definitely would uh, captain marvel is what you're gonna say no no, no i yeah i, I got confused. i do mean ms marvel although captain oh. marvel i think also does it okay but because to me in ms marvel like it's it's about a teenage girl who is also pakistani american who's also muslim and yeah. i don't think you could tell her story Without Islamophobia coming in in some way, I don't think you can tell mm. her story without the the particular issues of immigration and and her family, and and yeah, and that partition plays a role in in her family story. I felt like I learned a lot more about those worlds by watching that show. I felt like I had a lot more empathy and a lot more like, oh, okay, I can see this gives me a better understanding of a lot of other you know Pakistani American artists or things like that. But I never felt like the show was hitting me over the head with it because it just felt like it's the story of this teenage girl who gets these powers and here's the cool things that happened. Yeah, I'll, I'll co-sign that. I felt like the marketing was like a little on the nose and then yeah, like the actual show itself was just good. Aside from yeah. like the antagonists I thought were by far the weakest yeah. part. But <laughs> but uh, team protagonist was fantastic. Yeah. So. Well, so pulling it back to Guardians, yeah. one of the things that I thought was interesting was as the movie went on, I kept having, there were a couple times where I had this moment of, okay, well, actually, I'm going to back up here a second and use the example that you just talked about before. The first movie, Avatar, 
I agree with you. I thought I appreciated that the movie was trying to tell a kind of anti-colonial, anti-imperialist story. But by doing it through what felt to me this white savior narrative, also, by the way, a very ableist narrative, but it's a whole other story. Mm. Uh, it, it really kind of undercut that message. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of things in this Guardians movie that I would watch and I would feel like, God damn it, Paul. If I hadn't talked with Paul so much, I would just be like, wow, this is awesome animal rights stuff. But the conversations you and I have had have started to get me to see these other things that undercut the message some. And then the movie would directly address that thing and change it. Mm-hmm. And so I want to kind of go through a couple of these and just yeah. use them to talk about like if I'm kind of right and sort of how you would think about a trope like this and and, and, and get into those general thoughts about that. Not the am I right thing, but just sure. for that conversation. Like I'll give you the first example. We start with um, basically Rocket as a as a young raccoon um, with kind of a, a much younger voice is with a couple of other animals who've all been through something similar that they are now sent. I don't know if sentient is the, the right word, but the word they, is like verbal, right? Yeah, like I mean, they're, they can they're speak now, English. They're now verbal, and and the implication of the movie is certainly that they are now capable of a level of intellectual understanding that they weren't before yeah sapience um, is is the word that's actually okay. more although th- that's they they have a more human-like level of intelligence is right. pretty much i think that's a good way to look right? and that's exactly kind of the point is and so and a lot of things that were done to them which were like, like there's a lot of body horror elements that are mm-hmm. in it which again were i thought really good because they don't some of them are hard to look at they don't look cute it looks like a very cute animal that horrible things have been done to right so on the one hand they're not just saying hey look a cute animal deserves sympathy but they were showing that the you know the sentient the the sapient animals deserve deserve sympathy and then later they specifically make a point of like some people only want to rescue those animals and Rocket, I was like, no, 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 All those animals that haven't been experimented on yet, like, we need to rescue them as well. Yeah. And as well as also introducing a couple of other animal characters who are not – who have not been experimented on like that. They're not verbal. They're not – they're not interacting with, with people on that kind of a level. But they're, they still become full characters in the show, in the mm-hmm. movie, who I think are just deserving of sympathy and empathy. Yeah. and And to me, that's – that's critical, right? Because if you only take the animals that have, you know, enhanced intelligence or whatever, like, mm-hmm. you know, for, for all the animal rights and whatever that I'm going to talk about, like humans, as far as we know, are more intelligent than most animals, right? Like maybe dolphins right. are actually similar, right? Um, and I mean, this is something that's maybe hard to measure and hard to really know, but um, you know, dogs, adult dogs tend to have intelligence similar to like human two-year-olds, right? And, right. and I mean, humans aren't born with, with the intelligence that, that humans end up with, that adult right. humans have, right? Um, the brain develops over time. And I think if you basically are just like, well, these animals deserve you know, rights or just uh, for me, the word rights isn't even like the word I want to use, just like to dr- deserve decent treatment, respect, yeah. right? D- deserve to be treated like they have feelings. Um, then it's like if somebody needs to be able to tell you that they have feelings for you to respect their feelings, like that's you're, you're not going very far to, you yeah. know, try and try and 
understand anyone, right? Um, And so bringing in, you know, the other animals who have have not achieved like human-like, adult human-like intelligence – um, and that's not to say that five-year-old or 10-year-old humans don't also have a, you know, increased level of intelligence. But, like, that that's not the thing that is why they deserve respect and decency, yeah. right? It's, it's because they are feeling – like, sentience is the word that often is used to mean mm-hmm. human-like intelligence. But sentience literally means the ability to feel. Mm-hmm. And – you know, basically, regardless of intelligence level, like animals feel right. I right. mean, it's it's and and feel specifically feel suffering, but also joy and and other emotions, yeah. right? And just because they don't have words, like they can't tell you with words, but that right. doesn't mean that they can't express it. I mean, a cat purring, like what does that mean? You know what that yeah. means, right? Uh, spend any time with a dog that has had. Um, you know, a, a really, you know, not great owner in its past. And the colloquial term I would want to use is that the dog has something akin to PTSD. I don't I don't want to trivialize that actually very real condition, which I, I do have. But uh, and so I, 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 don't, I don't have any idea if like the brain chemistry is similar, but certainly in terms of like the way early trauma can severely affect a human for the rest of its life. Early trauma can definitely affect a dog. And for yeah. the rest of its life. And I, I imagine many other animals, but dogs are the ones that I think we're, we're the most aware of in that way. Yeah, because it's because uh, dogs are like the most human facing animals, right? At least right. in in certain cultures, right? And yeah. and it, yeah, I, I I think say saying it that's PTSD is to me that's not trivializing you know, mm-hmm. human PTSD. It's like yeah, okay, maybe you don't want to offer a clinical diagnosis, right? Right. But it's like well, that is literally post-traumatic and there's there's something going on right yeah stress and is a big part of it certainly. exactly yeah. exactly and and you could call it a disorder because there there's there's challenges that you know the dog yeah. is facing that then anybody trying to interact with the dog is is gonna have have a hard time right and um and you know and there's there's a lot of wonderful people who who work with with uh dogs and other animals who've been through things yeah. like this right and um actually there's there's a a, a batman story right about that's mm. where that's where ace comes from basically yeah um in in batman beyond and um you know but obviously in in our world this is something that that happens a lot and and there's people who who you know try and try and deal with this and and help animals heal like emotionally yeah. right and and if I mean, if you can see that an animal can be emotionally scarred by cruelty and mistreatment, then like obviously you know that there's suffering going on, right? Yeah. And um, I think the practice of like referring to animals who are experimented on by numbers is specifically so that the experimenters don't have to feel the same level of attachment that them might if they you know yeah. called them Mike or like you know yeah. Betsy or something. It's yeah. It's it's a way of shutting off the natural empathy or compassion yeah. that a person would feel, and that's I think we've talked before about how that's something that happens. Like that's a way that we justify cruelty towards other humans, you know, and yeah. everything from like racism and sexism and like you know myth telling of like oh all these people, and that's everything from like 
the way people talk about trans people today to like, you know, the way the U.S. Army was taught about Japanese people as these like portable brutes and, and it happens in all cultures and stuff like yeah. that. There's two, two things actually that I kind of want to throw in here. Um, one is that I think this is another reason that people have such an easier time being awful to people who don't speak their language. And mm-hmm. being anti-immigration and anti-immigrant yep. and um, and anti-people who live in the United States but maybe don't speak English as much, right? And, and I would just add to that and also very ableist towards people who don't communicate that, well. Absolutely. Disabilities and same thing. 100%. Exactly. Like the idea like, oh, well, if you can't explain to me, you know, everything about how you're feeling, I can just ignore your feelings, you know, right. which, is, which is terrible. Like – and it's not like somebody needs to be able to use – Words in a language you understand to explain certain things, to communicate certain fundamental things, right? right. Obviously, there, there's not going to be as much nuance if you don't share share a language. But um, and then the the second one is that when when we talk about things like like slavery, when we talk about things like the Holocaust, a, a common or just any kind of oppression of other humans, one of the very common phrases people use. Is that, you know, such and such group or an individual person was treated like an animal or were treated like animals. And to me, that tells you everything you need to know about how humans feel it's okay to treat animals. Yeah. Because the the more subtle version of that, but I think it's very true. It's very true as well. There is dehumanized. Yeah. Because exactly. But if they're not human, then what are they? Right. It's animals. Exactly. And, And it's like. It. I feel like the phrase dehumanized is a useful one and the Black Sabbath album Dehumanizer is actually a very underrated album. Yeah. But um, but it also – it carries a, a little bit of, of speciesism and, you know, there is a thing where it's like, okay, people get very angry. A lot of people get very angry like when you compare um, – horrors done to other humans with horrors done to non-human animals right Mm -hmm. and like i understand that but like whenever i do that it's not because i think that the horrors done to humans were less horrible than someone else thinks they are it's just that i think that the horrors done to animals also rise to that level yeah you know and it's like it, it it's like people being like oh what was worse like slavery or the holocaust like no that's not that's not a thing, right? They're yeah. they're both maximum awfulness and there's yeah. no need to like compare. Yeah, and I think that's important because I think there's sometimes the perception that you know, as a professional fundraiser, to me one of the hardest things is that every time I write a grant or I'm asking people for money, I always sort of feel like I'm saying like don't give money to that cause, give money to my cause instead. Right. And I think that the nonprofit capitalist industrial complex like pushes that narrative, but I think yeah. it's important to understand that most of us are not engaging in that, and that includes vegan. That you know, I've, I've, are there extre- the extremists from PETA? I think often get bad attention, but every nonprofit cause I know has extremists, and I think for the most part, I, I very rarely hear a vegan being like, "Wait, don't give money to Black Lives Matter. Give money to help stop this, you know." Right animal experimentate like they're all like yeah all this oppression is wrong you know yeah exactly and and you know the 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 thing that i would throw on top of that is like you know as someone advocating on behalf of animals like 
I understand animals can't really advocate on behalf of themselves in mm-hmm. within human society. Like, yes, there's the cow. I think her name was Bessie that just escaped like uh, <laughs> and, like she was a hero. You know, there's yeah. there's a picture of her at the Candle Cafe, like my favorite vegan restaurant back in the day. They just reopened a new one. But like, you know, on the whole, like you don't you're not going to see a bunch of cows like marching down to Congress or anything. Right. Yeah. Whereas with with human causes, it's like. There's always going to be someone who's trying to stick up for themselves and I'm going to be like, yes, I have your back, you know? Yeah. And I'm going to try and talk about it and, and help more people understand what the person is saying in, in self advocacy. Right. Right. But, but like with animals, it's, it's just, it has to be a little different. The same way, like if you were advocating for like two year olds, right? Yeah. You, you would, it, it, it's just a little different. Yeah. No, I hear that. So the other thing that the movie did that really kind of struck me, and, and this one I know we've talked about before, but I want to use this as a chance to get back into it, is again with this idea of like, okay, but like the cuddly, cute animals, those mm. are the ones we care about. Right. And, and there were two ways the movie addressed this. The first is that there's a scene towards the end of the movie, some spoilers here, um, where they get attacked by these just like huge they they look very monstrous and scary to human eyes. Mm-hmm. They look a lot like kind of the rolling balls of teeth from <laughs> The Force Awakens, if you remember okay. that movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they've got tentacles and teeth and they're roaring and chomping. Yeah. And they're getting ready to attack and our heroes are getting ready to attack. And then Mantis, who's kind of the empath one of them, sort of steps up. Yeah. It's like, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. And she kind of like figures out these animals are just afraid. Yeah. And they're 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 trying to be scary because they're afraid, and that's what is their instinctual reaction to do. And on the surface level, there's a like you know, don't always be scared of the scary looking animal. But it actually goes a lot deeper. To wait a minute, a lot of the times that like an animal is attacking us, like there's a difference between like you're in a wolf's territory and the wolf's trying to attack you because you're in its territory versus like. You know, the Imperial Guard is trying to shoot you because, you know, you're the, you're trying to fight the Empire. Like, both of them may right. pose a lethal threat and you may need to act accordingly. But in, but in one of those cases, it's a, like, that human should be choosing otherwise. In other cases, like, no, this isn't just an animal doing what it's doing. And maybe you're the idiot for, like, putting yourself in that position. Or maybe you can, like, recognize its fear and back away, which is exactly what winds up happening and she yeah. kind of is able to connect with the animals and be like no, no they're just afraid and if we can show them that we're not a threat they're not going to be scary to us yeah and i mean that that often is is very effective in yeah. you know in real life like especially with like like if you see a dog who's like growling at you you know like yeah. you you don't like if if you're aggressive towards them, they're gonna continue to be aggressive, right? But often yeah. there are ways of of diffusing um, things. But yeah. but yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, one of one of the the most effective ways to to get attacked by animals is to you know basically tread on their you know. Yeah. Home area, you know. I Animals mean, if, have castle defense. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, I mean, th- there's the the sort of, you know, I don't I don't know if it's a trope or whatever, but of like the, you know, the the mother animal like defending right. its young or whatever or her young. Yeah. Um, 
which just to circle back to pronouns, like I, I do it as like a unconscious thing, but like mm-hmm. con- calling animals like it and it's mm-hmm. is like a very interesting dehumanizing or, yeah, right. you know, depersonizing um, to the point where I've actually contemplating using it, it's pronouns myself to just be like, deal That's with it. it. You know, yeah. also because like at some point robots are going to get called it and it's and like will probably be sentient. And it's like, well, do you I, know, I, I will say like, you know, in the neo pronoun world, like, yeah, a lot of non-binary folks I know use they them. Mm-hmm. But I definitely have met folks who use it. It's and and the two who I can most easily think of both were vegans and both. Oh. That was one of the points they made as to why hmm. they did it. So. Interesting. Yeah. 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 So I re- and it's funny, actually, because. um Forgive me for calling back to uh, a, a part of something you generally have enjoyed, but that we we both really did, did not like. In to me, this is something that Star Wars has gotten this exact oh. same question, both very right and very wrong. Yeah, which is so striking to me. In that, in Mandalorian season two, there's this whole episode basically where they go to a planet where ice spiders happen to live, and yeah. The movie is portrayed at like the show shows them as like these big scary monsters that are going to kill our poor helpless characters, and they were supposed to kind of cheer as the ice spiders are just slaughtered on mass. Whereas like yeah, they're just defending their home that these people have come and invaded. Yeah, and I I, I didn't like it at the time. You especially helped point out what was problematic about it, and then I rewatched Rebels, mm-hmm. and there's a whole sort of plot line in Rebels. About how big giant spiders that look terrifying yeah. are not actually scary if you're not scared of them. In and I was just it just kind of made me like laugh like okay, Filoni, you're really good for the most part at like referencing your own stuff, but here's an issue that you previously got right and now you're getting wrong. <laughs> right, because well, did did Filoni write that episode of? Um... Well, so in Rebels, actually, they kind of have both sides of it because there mm. is the whole – like earlier on, there's an episode that really bothered me in season one where, you know, basically Hera and Sabine, I think, go to meet up with Fulcrum. And I won't get too into the details, but like oh, basically yeah, there's a yeah, bunch of scary-looking animals and they kill a bunch of them, you know. And then later, mm-hmm. like, you know – they communicate with them, but it's yeah. a different they, right? I mean, it's like it's Ezra and Kanan. Yeah. But like – so I feel like Filoni kind of – and I I think this, this maybe gets to another point where I feel like some writers and certainly a lot of people, I think kind of selectively, you know, can like – can can take that and use it as a story – Mm-hmm. But then not have, like, fully internalized, like, yeah. the idea, you know? Because, like, I feel like it seemed like a good story to to Filoni, you know? Yeah. But, I mean, I, I don't know that much about about Dave, but um, yeah. just just and not I, enough. I'm kind of acting as though he has final script approval over everything that's ever been done in the last 20 years of Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is not that right. case, but just yeah. to kind of... No, yeah, but I, I get it. And, and to me, it's like there's... So here in Guardians of the Galaxy 3, right, you've mm-hmm. got a bunch of stuff about experimenting on animals, right? Yeah. Which is – I don't know whether it's for science or whether it's for personal gain or, or what. And you can address that or not. But like yeah. to me, it's like I think it's going to – I wonder whether it will be easy for someone to see this movie and think, oh, well, 
experimenting on animals is horrible. We've we've got to stop that. We must yes, we'll we'll, mm-hmm. we'll do something about that. But like you know, eating them is fine, you know, or keeping them in cages for for, you know, for dairy and, and whatever. And I mean, it, it, that's the sort of thing where, like, if if I were writing the movie and, like, this this might be the sort of thing where it would be a challenge to kind of bring it back around. But, like, I would probably have, like, Star-Lord going to Earth and, like, trying to order a burger and be like, ah, oh, I just can't do it, you know? Yeah. And I, I will say that is one, like, there's a kind of larger issue here also in terms of, like, movies that, like, you know, we're, we're kind of – we're at, like, level five. It sounds a little patronizing, but, like <laughs> – Let's do it. Let's patronize. Yeah, but like we're like no, but- there's a particular issue that you have done like numerous levels of analysis on and right. gotten into numerous levels of nuance. And there's a movie or a TV show that's introducing the basic concepts to people. You yeah. Know? And where you're like, okay, well, I could get really critical about how they're still not getting it right, but at least they're starting the conversation. There is a running thing in the movie that I really didn't like that felt very clearly like the movie is saying – we want you to feel bad about the way animals are treated, but we're not saying you have to be a vegetarian, mm-hmm. which is that people are walking around eating like – first of all, I, I rewatched the first Guardians movie and forgot that it opens up with Star-Lord just like kicking these little rats all over. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like picking them up and singing into them. Basically like the, the delicacy on the, the planet that they're now on most of the time is like those rats on a stick that someone has roasted. Right. And like – Numerous characters are shown eating them, I think including Rocket at one point. Right, right. And that is never questioned in the slightest. And that yeah. felt to me like a – either A, it was just a glaring oversight. B, more likely it was an intentional way of the movie being like, yeah, we're we're, we're going to push the animal rights thing. But don't worry. You should still go have a hamburger after this and not feel bad. Yeah. And that, you know, that to me, I'm sure, sure would bother me a lot, you know. Yeah. I mean – It bothered me and I yeah. still eat meat. Yeah. There's there's stuff in in live action Star Wars where there's similarly um, those there's something with like those you know that that annoying little loud dude who's like hanging out with Jabba there's like them on a stick or something and like I <clears throat> oh yeah I don't like that you know I think mm-hmm. I don't know if it's on Tatooine or what but like I yeah that to me that's like an opportunity you know yeah. where it did it, it wouldn't even have to be like a big thing right that's mm-hmm. like that could be like a 15 second beat. Yeah. Where it's like after going and doing all of all of what they've done, like coming back and being like, oh, yeah, huh. You know, and yeah. it's like you don't even have to be, have them be like, oh, I am now never going to eat. Just like posing the question even, you know, and like yeah. drawing the connection um, yeah. to me. I and, and I do I do believe in like better than nothing, you know, yeah. like I think, yeah, getting people to start to question things is is better than not doing that, right? You don't always have to connect all the dots for everybody. But like, you know, I do think it would be nice to like put mm-hmm. put a little bit a little bit more like than than what it sounds like. It sounds like that issue definitely yeah. went completely unaddressed. And um it, it, yeah. there's two funny things I'll say about it. one is that maybe not funny but sad. I I think you're right. I would have liked it if they had done just a little thing on that. I think if they had the number of people who felt like or who would claim that this was now an example of a movie that was just making a point at the expense of good storytelling would go up significantly. Because I don't know. It would, and well, I, and I, 
I, I'm not saying that's a reason not to do it. Like, I think it, it's a hard calculus to do, but I'm guessing that that, that level of challenging people would have, and, and maybe to me, that's a good reason to do it. But like, mm. I, I do think that would be the thing that would push a lot of people to be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, I'm, I'm comfortable feeling like this guy who tortures animals is fine, is bad. But but no, like, you know, just let me eat my burger in peace. Right. Yeah. So so, I mean, obviously, we, we don't know and won't know. But I, I feel like. To me, it's like so, first of all, obviously, there's already a fair number of people who are saying that. And, you know, right. the, the outrage machine is 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 still working. Right. Well, and th- th- to the flip side on that, one of the b- biggest, not one of the biggest, but one of the forms of outrage that I've seen is that apparently a lot of kids are going to this movie and then being like, Mommy, Daddy, I don't want to eat animals anymore. That's fantastic. And parents are annoyed that their kids are vegetarians. So, like, even if it had that, some kids are getting the right message there. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, I mean, parents, you got to you gotta understand your kids have agency and there's a reasonable chance they have better ideas than you do. But, yep. um, you know, yeah, I, I and that's why... I think like a 15 second kind of almost throwaway, like you could blink and you could miss it, but it's there would be the way that I would want to try and address something like that. Because I think if you had a big five, 10 minute, you know, bonus plot arc or whatever, that's really hitting people over the head with it. I I don't see that being as effective, you know? I mean, maybe that's a story. That's a different story or whatever. Right. But like, I think there are, I think often there's room to do subtle things, mm-hmm. you know, that that can sort of satisfy a point that I want to yeah. see without. I'll put it this way. I think you could try and write a scene like that and like potentially ruin the movie. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. <I'd-> like <laughs> and, and 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 kind of undermine your point by being just way too on the nose and um and just it, it, it could just not work. Right. Yeah. But I also think. Like, when you told me that, that that's a thing, mm-hmm. to me, that feels like, oh, that's a way better do- way of doing it than, like, having some, like, Star-Lord on Earth and cheeseburgers, you know? Yeah, all you needed would be Rocket, like, a bunch of them going up to buy more of those, like, rats on sticks. Yeah. And Rocket being, mm, yeah, no, actually, I'll pass or something like yeah. that, you know? Or, like, mm, not today, you know? It's yeah. like, it doesn't even have to be, like, a character being like, I am now a vegetarian. Like, yeah. sure, that's great. Like, I'd like to see more vegetarians represented in fiction. But, like, even just to, like, you know, right now, I'm not going to – like, that to me is enough to just, like, put just a little a little idea. Yeah. You know, just like – I think it's a good way of putting it. Um, there's one last thing that the movie did that I get – and that's kind of on a similar note but a little bit different from what we are just saying. But it's on that same, like – recognizing that a, a creature looking scary to us doesn't mean that it has less moral value, less yeah. moral worth. Um, and it's where um, our heroes are all trying to find all of the animals that are, that are excuse me, of all kinds and, and rescue them. And Mantis is going through and, you know, to the different cages and many of them are human animals. Many of them are clearly not. They're animals from just other planets. And she goes into one cage of an animal that is just you know, I think designed to the words that come to mind when I look at it are ugly and scary. Right. It's got like, you know, a lot of big teeth and it looks weird and misshapen and it just is like, ah, and she has that initial reaction. Mm-hmm. And then immediately she says to the animal, oh, oh no, no, no. I, I saw something scary behind you. I don't think you're scary. You're beautiful. Mm-hmm. Come, let me help you. Mm-hmm. And it was such a like, 
not only does she acknowledge that her fear reaction to this animal is not unjustified, but that it's wrong. You know, that, that there's nothing inherently scary or wrong about this animal. Right. And then it's just as it's just as deserving of being rescued as all the others. But that she also like and this animal doesn't speak to her. This animal doesn't, as you were just saying, doesn't express any emotional reaction to her reaction. Yeah. But she still feels a like, no, no, I need to reassure this animal that I wasn't scared about it. Right. Uh, and I was just like that. That again is a moment of yes, you're not going to 501, but you're also like you understand that if at 101 there's some things you're still missing. and You're going a little further than that, and I appreciate that. That was maybe in terms of like the portrayal of animals, portrayal, not betrayal, um, was maybe my favorite moment of just like the thoughtfulness that went into that one scene. Yeah, that, that sounds really nice. Um, I and I I think like it's like. You don't have to feel bad about having like biased thoughts, right? Yeah. Like you you don't have to feel bad about having thoughts and sometimes desires of doing things that that cause harm. Like you your thoughts are your thoughts, right? Your feelings are your feelings, but like rec- being able to recognize those thoughts and feelings and then still take an action that is is not harmful but that tries to undo or ameliorate or whatever, whatever harm you may have done or may potentially do. I, like to me, that's like more powerful and impressive than like, yeah. like for me being a vegan is like pretty easy. Like I never really liked meat. I gradually stopped having dairy and eggs. Like now in the 21st century, there's like, there's too many vegan restaurants that like I've managed to gain a lot of weight. You know, like when I was <laughs> yeah. younger, I was super thin and like that was kind of just my build. But also it was just easy because like there just wasn't a lot like there wasn't good vegan ice cream. I remember how know? mad you were when good vegan ice cream started hitting. And I think that Yeah, was I was like, oh, no, this is a disaster, <laughs> you know, and it was fine when I was like exercising 40 hours a week, you know, <laughs> but when you stop doing that, you know, you can't have as many pints of this stuff. And like and so, you know, I think I have empathy for people who are like no but but i really do like the taste and it's like okay i yeah i understand i get that i don't get that on a personal i can relate directly but like i really like ice you know vegan ice cream yeah. and i don't want to eat it you know but uh, at I, so much but i mean there i can jump in um I, as i said i i do still eat meat i'm trying to reduce the amount of meat i eat constantly and i now try to eat as much meat as I can that only comes from ethically sourced where the animals are treated much better, but they are still being killed so I can eat them. And I think that's something that a lot of people are still going to find ethically objectionable. And as more time goes on, I may um, I may change that entirely. Um, and, and if folks judge me for that, that, that is completely fair. But I'll say one kind of meat that I used to really enjoy because I thought it was the best chicken sandwich that I'd ever had was Chick-fil-A. Yeah. And... Once I came to understand what they were doing with the money and how harmful it was to, to people like me, or it, even if I wasn't a person like that, but especially that, I was like, no, I, and I haven't had a Chick-fil-A sandwich in like five years, seven years. And when I hear someone say, everyone should give it up. It's not even any good. My reaction is always like, that's bad propaganda. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. what you're saying is, what, what what I would hear if I was still eating them is, when you say I shouldn't eat them, you don't understand my. You don't understand that I am giving up something, right? You know, 
And I, so yeah, th- this is all kind of a tangent, but I think that that's an important thing. I'm like, I think it is completely valid for someone who's just like, yeah, like I don't enjoy it anymore. And I'm just enjoying this other stuff. And that's great. But also recognize that's very different than the person who's like, no, no, no I, you know, and I, for me, I know also, and this sounds like justification. It's not, it's just more part of the thinking. Like a lot of it's also tied into like food is my self-medication so I don't drink or do drugs. Um, and like <laughs> that's yeah. a you know thing I also work on as well. But it's that we all have such – everybody has such very psychologically, socially, economically complicated relationships to food. For myself at least, what I'm much more interested in is helping understand – helping people understand how to make healthier choices, better choices, more ethical choices and, and figure that out along the way. Yeah. And that I was mean, all so, a very long tangent and I apologize. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I have never had Chick-fil-A. I'll say that. Uh, Mm -hmm. But (laughs) that that is very easy for me. Um, And I, you know, I feel like it, like, I would like to see a world where just people didn't eat animals anymore or animal products. Um, If I live that long, that would be fantastic. I'd be super happy about that. Um, you know, someone's going to have to invent some anti-aging stuff because I think it's going to take a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that's a reasonable future, honestly. Um, yeah. Especially in terms of sustainability and whatnot. But, you know, when it's like maybe 1% of the population is vegan, maybe – I think less than 5% of the United States is vegetarian even. Um, It was 3% for a long time. You know, if you ask me, like, would you rather double the percent of the population that was vegan or have everybody who eats meat cut their meat intake in half? It's like, of course, it's the second one. Yeah. Right. It's like, like, yeah, I, I, (laughs) you know, I'd I'd like to have more people that I fully agree with. But like, Mm -hmm. ultimately... To me, it's about, you know, how much how much harm is being done, how much suffering there yeah. is. And, you know, if you can cut that in half, not by, you know, through an infinity gauntlet or something, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but like, you know, and, and so that's to me, it's like I'm a very all or nothing person, right? I'm right. like I'm either going to do a thing and I'm going to do it a lot or I'm not going to do it at all and for better and for worse, right? Like that's sort of where Zen Madman came from as like a moniker, right? Like, But I understand that's not everybody and that certainly isn't going to work for anybody or even maybe most people. Um, And so I think, you know, if you feel like you would – if you feel conflicted, you know, like Mm – I think it's important to understand you don't necessarily have to, you know, make whatever change you want to make all at once. You know, if you do and you can, that's great. I'm in support of that, you know. But if like if like Meatless Mondays is like the best you can do, like that's better than not Meatless Mondays. You know what I mean? So And, And I'll say in terms of like bringing about that time where we're just stopping to meet, you know, to me, put aside all the other factors. Right now, when I walk into a store, a, a regular pound of meat might be a certain price. The stuff that I like where it's ethically and locally raised and it's more environmentally sustainable and the animals are treated much better is probably going to be one, $1 to $2 more a pound. And the Impossible Burger stuff, the lab-grown meat, is going to be another dollar or two more a pound. Um, and that's often I think I – you know the right now one of those is subsidized and the rest aren't. And that's – Right. Yeah. You know, often I, the whole – Set of topics, yeah. but um, yeah, that's a whole thing. 
Um, uh, and and there is literal lab-grown meat. Like, that's actually a thing now, which isn't yeah. what the impossible is, right? The impossible is something else, but... I thought I thought Impossible Burger was that, but you might be is right. It? Uh, you know what? I, I, they didn't make it for me. I'm like, yeah, this tastes you, gross. Yeah, because it, it is made for the person who wants to replicate the meat experience. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I'm like, could it taste more like tofu? Yeah. No, um, that, that's not generally what I, I mean. I want tofu to taste like tofu, but like, yeah, the the really meaty taste things. I'm like, mm, that's not. That, I'm not your target audience. That's yeah. fine. I'm glad it exists, <laughs> like this movie, but I'm not really the target yeah. audience, and that's fine. All right. Well, anything else you want to say on this? Because there's one other piece of feedback, and it's a bit of a doozy that I want us to. I think there's like two or three, not as long as this, but kind of two sure. or three sub issues it's going to raise. Um, but any other last things you want to say about this topic? Uh, no, I feel like I, I just gave my, you know, impassioned plea to like, you know, eat eat fewer animals if you can't eat no animals. And, you know, mm -hmm. that's I'll, I'll close on that. Like, you know, I, I I'm it sounds like this movie does a good thing. You know, yeah. um, it sounds like it, it does at least a reasonable job of it. You know, like anything, I'm, I'm sure it could do that better. Um, yeah. I didn't actually see it, so I'm not commenting on how it's <laughs> actually, uh, you know, yeah. executed. Um, and, you know, I don't speak for animals, but I, I try to speak in defense of them when, when I can. No, I think it's fair. And, and just I, I can't let this go without making one one general review comment about the movie. I the movie was a lot better than I expected it to be. I think it was a very good 90-minute-long rocket biopic backstory origin movie wrapped in a two-hour and 30-minute uh, Guardians of the Galaxy movie. I just right. thought there was – especially because you get a lot of scenes of the Guardians without Rocket. I'm like, what, why would I watch this? Like, <laughs> right, right, right. He's right. the most interesting character. Yeah. Um, but they, they – by the end, if you ever do watch it, just in terms of like a movie trilogy – they wrap up a lot of the stories in really interesting mm. ways and in a different context, they do a lot of stuff with relationships that I thought is ethically really interesting, mm -hmm. particularly the fact that um, Peter Quill, whose feelings towards women have, I think, raised a lot of eyebrows, my own very much included, um, and and they don't have him get back together with, with – uh, that's a big spoiler there, sorry, but um, – we said spoiler warnings. Um, uh, Gamora is the name. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was thinking if I should cut that out. No, no I'm going to keep it in. We said spoiler warnings, but yeah, it's a um, that that I'll talk about in a different topic. Um, but I was very happy with how they did that. I thought they did a lot of other really good things. They're just very you know emotionally aware. Um, and then have a mid credit scene that apparently, if you look closely, doesn't look like what it looks like, but it looks like the new version of the Guardians of the Galaxy are like helping all the people who've been rescued be settlers and they're just going out to slaughter a bunch of wild animals that are attacking the settlers and i was like this but apparently like it, it it's a little too blink and you miss it but they're all looking supposed to look like cyberheadically advanced like they're robotic they're robots. or something like oh, so. yeah but it was just like what <laughs> did you not just watch the movie we just watched um oh dear but anyway a lot of great stuff there so thank you so much sophia that was a great piece of feedback yeah, um, thank you. And then there's another piece of feedback we got. And I'll admit, um, I have been quite bad about following up on feedback. Uh, I'm going to try and catch up on it. And then this summer in general has been really rough. But by the end of the summer, my hope is that we're going to be much better about um, getting you all the right feedback at the right times and things like that. Um, 
This feedback comes from some time ago, but partially it's because I spent a long time wondering, like, how do I want to talk about this and whether Paul should be a part of the conversation or not. And and then Paul, of course, was not a, a regular guest anymore. And, and so I talked about it with Paul, and I think this is the right time to talk about it. And it it's an email that raises a couple of different related but different topics, and so we're going to kind of go through them one by one. Um, and, and again, Paul, Paul read this email as well and, and was okay with it being read. Uh, it's from Sean McNeil. And he says, First, I want to say thank you for doing the Superhero Ethics Podcast. Both you and Paul challenge me regularly to think differently than I normally would. As I get older and my boy grows, I find the idea of sharing thoughts and opinions with others, unlike myself, more and more important. I don't like Paul at all, meaning I know we wouldn't get along in a social setting. Just way too different, probably to the point where we would purposely avoid each other out of respect for not ruining the night, arguing about something dumb. As for you and I, 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 am, the, I am the I, he's a Matthew, I could go on forever about my thoughts on organized religion. I had terrible experiences, but your honesty feels real, and I feel like we could spend hours challenging the way each other views, challenging the way each other views and interacts with the world. So the point I so the point I would like to challenge so, so the point I would like to challenge the entire idea of great power comes great responsibility altogether. And this is some time ago we did an episode about that that Uncle Ben Spider Man idea of great power comes great responsibility, and is that actually too much pressure to put on heroes, etc. And he continues, I found that the majority of the discussion focused on the idea that this was generally a good thing, or that if you have power, no matter how you feel at the start, you will revel in the responsibility at the end. I think it's all garbage. Who is anyone to put that responsibility on any being, super or not? Who decided Superman is responsible for saving the world? The people? I'm a person. I have no right to tell Superman he must save me. The government? Haha. It'd be pretty narcissistic for them to give themselves the responsibility, right? Take it out of superhero world. I am a fairly privileged white male. I have the power to stop some sort of injustice just by being a white male, narcissistic of me to say, in some way every day. Is it my, responsi is it my responsibility to seek it out because I have the power? In America, we have pursuit of happiness, where as long as I'm not infringing on anyone else's happiness, I can pursue mine. We as a society put on Superman to protect us all, at all times. Does he get to pursue his happiness? May make him happy. It may make him happy to save me today. May make him happier to spend time with Lois instead of stop stopping my car crash. With great power comes great power. No one has the right to tell me what I must do with it. As long as I'm pursuing my happiness, not getting in the way of anyone else's, just wearing my mask in the grocery and walking out as someone who refuses to wear one screams at an employee. Just because I have the power to step in doesn't mean I have the responsibility to. Please don't ever stop making me think, Sean McNeil. So. As you can tell, there's a couple of things in here, and I, we are going to get to the main point Sean references, but I think, Paul, the stuff he said about you, A, I want to let you respond to it in general, but as you and I were talking about it, I think it, it, it opens up some larger questions also about parasocial relationships and feedback and things like that. But let me just start by, uh, Paul, letting you kind of respond to it. Yeah. So um, I guess thanks for the compliment in terms of, I think, challenging people to think about things in different ways is pretty much the main reason that I like being on this podcast, aside from the fact that I would just want to like hang out and chat with Matthew anyway. Yeah. Um, but in terms of like the sort of the good that we do <laughs> or that like <laughs> what I would hope, you know, would be the benefit it is, you know, for me, it's, it's not about telling someone this is my opinion and like 
it is right. I mean, obviously, I think it's right or I would change my opinion. But it's about saying, this is my opinion. This is my point of view. You know, thanks for listening to it. And if it sways you, great. If it doesn't, that's fine. Right. Um, and so I, I think like the, the like, you know, you don't like me. Like you, you don't know me. You know, you know me on a podcast, you know, you know how I talk about certain things. Um, I do not spend most of my time talking about these things. I mean, sometimes I end up spending more time than I would like talking about them, um, you know, outside of podcasting. And specifically, I, I've been doing superhero ethics a little less because I do find like there's kind of only a certain amount of juice kind of I have in terms of like dealing with all the awful things in the world or the things that I have issues with. And like, honestly, when I'm hanging out, like I don't, I don't want to talk about all that all the time, you know? Yeah. And so in terms of not getting along, I have no idea whether we would get along or not, except that like I get along with like just about everybody. And from like days of playing poker, like, I have right-wing friends. I have libertarian friends. I have left-wing friends, liberal friends, like, you know, neo-liberal, neo-conservative. Like, I don't care. Like, I will yeah. be friends with anybody within the context of, you know, doing an activity, sitting around playing poker. Um, that's pretty much the activity I do these days. Yeah. But, like, you know, the, the exception would be, like, yeah, if you bring something up, I might object you know, sometimes I'll just let something go. But if like something seems like really way out of line, but, you know, I, I'm not like, oh, we have to argue about everything all the time. Like on this yeah. podcast, we're here to discuss stuff like this. Right. So that's yeah. all I'm doing. But um, outside of this podcast, you know, and I think more generally, like when you see anybody in, in any type of media, I think um you know, it, it's probably best to avoid making too many assumptions about what that person's like outside of that context, because context has a lot to do with like what we're going to say and what we're going to talk yeah. about. No, I think I think I'm really glad you said that. And I, I want to say more about the parasocialness, but, but I think also it's worth saying, like, there's a lot of assumptions made about you there, but also about me, because I am not as good as you are. I, I am. <laughs> I also have enough experience with some of those folks from um poker and the like that i can be friendly but i would not have as wide a range of friends i definitely do not have as wide an intellectual range of friends as paul does and i have family members who i have cut out of my life um because they believe things that i think are really harmful to me and to to others like me and the people i care about um and uh you know if you find me on places like facebook or or uh tiktok i tend to be a lot more virulent about some of this stuff i'm i'm <clears throat> I'm never silencing myself on these on these topics, but I think I am very cog I think also just the roles that you and I play, that I am the host. I'm the one right. who's trying to drive the conversation. You're the guest. It it puts you in a position often where you're more likely to be the one taking a more strident position. Um But like if you and I are playing at a poker table and someone sits down with a MAGA hat on, I'm probably much more likely to cause an issue than you are. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I you know <laughs> I haven't seen one of those in a long time. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I also just think – and here's the thing about feedback and because I've been thinking a lot about parasocial relationships and, and for anyone who doesn't know that, that's the – a parasocial relationship is a relationship where – like right now, 
because of social media, it's very easy to feel like you have a very intense, personal, intimate like connection with people where what they're sending to you feels like something a friend would send you, but they're sending it to a thousand people or, or a million people. Mm. Um, there's a whole thing happening right now in the Taylor Swift fandom about who she's dating that um, is a very complex, nuanced issue, and I'm not trying to get into it, but it's raising a lot of questions for people about how do parasocial relationships work and what is or is not okay. And, and again, that's a whole complex situation. I'm not making a comment on one or the other. But I do think it's important to be I, – I have had to learn to be very careful about, you know, like for a while, I definitely had a parasocial relationship with Matt and Jeff, the hosts of the MCU of the MCU cast. I happened to get to know them individually and, and and found they're quite different than the people who they are on their podcast in some ways, not in others. Um, and and similarly with, with other guests of mine and with me, and I think it's just – as I love feedback, I love that interaction, but I just want to ask people to be a bit careful. Like, Paul, you handled it quite well, I, but I just want to say kind of like – I if you don't like one of us personally, like, that's fine. I don't think there's any need to let us know. Uh, or if it is just doing it wrapped up in an email where you're also asking for legitimate feedback, I'm happy to still wind up giving you that feedback. Um, but it felt pretty inappropriate to me. I think there's a better way to have phrased it. Even if what you're trying to say is that like one of us, you think you could have gotten along with better than the other. Um, you know, and again, I don't know what the right or the wrong thing is. And I'm not saying to other, like, I don't want people who are thinking about writing into this podcast to feel like they have to censor themselves, but just, I think it's a good reminder of like, you know me and you know my other guests through what the part of ourselves we put out. And just remember that that's, that's, it's not that I think anyone is being fake on here. It's that I think all of us have personas. All of us are the people we are at work and the people we are with our partners and the people we are with our friends. And those are different aspects of ourselves. And a lot of psychological health is how integrated or non-integrated those are. But if you see only one of those, you're only seeing one of those. Yeah. And, and to add to that or kind of um, expand a little, like that doesn't mean any of it's an act. It's just, you know, what you do in one context isn't necessarily the same thing that or what I do in one context, what one does in, in a given context um, isn't always going to be the same thing that a person's going to do in another context. Right. And there are a lot of contexts in like one podcast or one um, you know, YouTube channel or whatever isn't going to be, uh, is, isn't going to give a, a full view of, of, you know, someone's life basically. Right. Yeah. And I think like to me, when you spot outright hypocrisies, you know, like with, with, you know, news coming out about Fox news hosts who, you know, believe very different things oh, than what yeah. they were saying, or like when you see like, you know, with, with, I don't know enough about the specific Taylor Swift situation to comment on it directly. But I know that there are people who feel like the choices she is making in her romantic life do go directly against the ideals that she, that she talks about when she speaks on stage and she sings on stage and things like that. And so they see a comp, they see a, a hypocrisy there. I, I, again, I'm not commenting on it, but I'm saying, I think, okay, that, that might be a place where, where it's worth commenting on that. Um, but I think, and, and cer certainly I want to open that door. If, if you think that's happening with me, please go ahead and do so. I think certainly sometimes I don't live up to my own ideals and I think that's worthwhile of discussing. But just, you know, have – I think it's easy to forget that there are real people you're talking to and, and just kind of treat that appropriately. So 
let's get into the main meat of this idea. Um, this, <laughs> uh, that's a very poor phrase, given what else we've been talking about today. Um, let's let's get into the um, the tofu of this, the chickpeas of it. Um, what what's your what, how do you feel about this? Because I I yeah I have some thoughts, but I'm curious where you would start. Right. So the first question. I'm just going to answer directly. Who decided Superman is responsible for saving the world? And there's there's a very clear answer to this. And the answer is Superman. Yeah. Right? He decided to be Superman. Now, you could say, okay, Jor-El kind of pushed him in that direction. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, literally sent him in that direction in a spaceship when he was an infant. Um, and you could say that, you know, the, the Kents kind of helped him become who he was right. and where he wanted to do that. But – There's agency there, right? Superman decided that he wanted to be Superman, that he didn't want to just be Clark Kent, right? He's both, but he decided, right? And yeah, could the government tell him that he has to do all these things? No, I don't think that would be reasonable. You know, I think he can make an agreement. Hey, I'm going to defend Earth so uh, and, and make sure that there's, you know, no military struggle so you can get rid of all the nukes or whatever. Like that's the plot of, of one, uh, mm-hmm. the beginning of the justice league, uh, yeah. animated series. Right. Um, so I think he can enter into an agreement to, to do such and such, but yeah, if he wants to go on a date with Lois Lane, he can go on a date with Lois Lane. If he wants to save you from a car wreck, he can save you from a car wreck. Now, if you actually had all of the abilities of Superman, like that does sound quite overwhelming. If you're trying, I mean, Every time you're not saving someone, someone's probably dying because you're not saving them. But also, yeah. if you didn't exist, they would have been dying anyway. So, you know, in terms of what responsibility a person has to act, like, I, I don't really believe the whole great power comes great responsibility. And I think that was kind of the the takeaway from the podcast. But that doesn't mm-hmm. mean – I mean, sort of, yeah, with great power comes great power, right? I mean, that's yeah. – power is power. And it's up to you what you do with it. And there can be coercive forces that that try and get you to do something. But, like, to me, it's just like, yeah, if you can do something about it, like, why wouldn't you? Right? And yeah. that's that's your choice. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good way to talk about it. Because I, 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 to me, in some ways, the great power, great responsibility question is far too binary for me. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's where, like... On the surface, Sean, I'm agreeing with you, but I also fundamentally disagree with a lot of what you right. say. And I think that's – is like, yes, I think that idea that you have to do so becomes really problematic. And I mean, it's a fundamental lack of agency and, and can become literal slavery at that point. And I, I can say I'm not Superman by any means, but as someone who worked in the nonprofit industry for most of my career, this is a very real issue. And when I was getting started in the 90s and early 2000s, there was a definite, like, ethos of, wait, you're going to a movie when you could be doing one more social justice action? Wait, you're, Mm. like, spending money on this thing for yourself when you could be donating it to a cause? Like, that's that's selfish. You're not being – you're not – there was almost a kind of machismo of who's the most dedicated to helping others and also no one in the industry who'd been working there for more than five years. Right. Because we were all burning out because that's yeah. simply not sustainable. And <clears throat> so I think, yeah, personal eight – here's how I kind of square the circle. For me, it has to be in the end a, a question of personal agency. I think 
people need to decide for themselves, choose their battles. What are the causes they're going to donate to? What are the things that they're going to spend their time working on? What are the things they're going to not? And yes, I do think that trying to fix every single situation that you could is going to wind up being incredibly deleterious to your health probably. But I also think there's nothing wrong with other people encouraging people to help when they can. And here's where it comes down to me and here's kind of the, 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 it's the flip side of that responsibility. Responsibility implies coercion. To me, it's not that I want people to be coerced to do good things. It's that I, I am a person who feels like I should do good things and that affects my personal decision making. And if you're not, I'm not going to want someone to force you to. I just might think you're kind of a jackass. Um, and, and, and here's where I do think that there is that level of responsibility understood in a very different way. Because – and here's I think, Sean, where I would most disagree with you. And this is something, Paul, you and I might disagree with as well. But like y- you talk about how kind of you're, you're, you're a white male and that you have that power. But is that your responsibility? And – to me, I think the thing that you're missing, that I think a lot of people miss in these conversations, is that someone being a white male and thus having the power to help and other people not being white male or whatever the position of power is and thus being in a bad situation that they could use help, those things are not disconnected. They're often very connected and often the amount of power or privilege is a word that I think has gotten very overused and misunderstood, but you know, whatever word you want to use is directly related to the people who don't have that, who are having problems that you might be able to fix. And I'll give a very personal example for me. Um, I, I am white. I'm not male, but I'm male presenting. I get a lot of male privilege, but I'll talk about specifically the fact that I'm Christian. And as a Christian, I get an awful lot of good things in this world that a lot of people don't get. No one questions when I want to take my holidays off. No one thinks that when I mention my holidays or that I'm doing something for them, it's weird. Um, I get to participate in the Uber culture in the way an awful lot of people don't. And I don't spend my time having the Uber culture remind me that I don't fit in the way someone who isn't Christian, but, you know, hears Christmas music for one twelfth of the year, if not more, does all the time. So... And I don't feel bad about being a Christian. It is something I choose and it's something I believe in, even though I greatly disagree with a a lot of the people who claim to be Christians and do what I see as terrible things in that name. The ethical choice, the ethical causes that I tend to focus on most are things like reproductive justice, um, queer rights, trans rights. And that's in large part because it is people like me who are often the loudest and doing the most to take away those rights from people. It is often people in the name of Christ attacking, you know, abortion rights or attacking queer people or attacking trans people. And so for me, I see a direct correlation between the, the, if I go into a room and say, as a Christian, I think this is wrong. There's an awful lot of people who will listen to me in the way they wouldn't if someone said as an atheist or as a Jew or as a Muslim or whatever. Yeah, they'd just call me a godless heathen. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Whereas if I can quote the Bible at them, they're going to pay more attention. So 
the nature of my being Christian gives me that power. And there are people who are directly hurt by Christians. And so, yeah, I do feel like those two things are intrinsically linked. In the same way that, like, yeah, I benefit an awful lot by the fact that people like me took over this country. And so I do feel there's a native restaurant in our in our town, Awambi. Uh, I think I'm pronouncing it right. Awamji, perhaps. Um, run, you know, they only serve ingredients that, that grew here before Columbus came. And they employ all indigenous folks and do an awful lot to support indigenous businesses and things like that. I go out of my way to try to support that business because I feel like, yeah, I... I am the beneficiary of all the things that were done to do horrible things to indigenous people. Do I think that means every white person has to do that or that there should be a law compelling it? No. I I do think we should have laws set up to address injustices. But to me, that's not about helping. That's about making a society function. I think that's a fairly different question. But and I promise I'll get to the end of this rant and let, and let, let Paul jump in. But for me, I think that's where it kind of comes down to is that I I don't. I think responsibility is the locus of responsibility is your own internal discussion about when and where you're going to get involved. And I think other people can contribute to that the way they can contribute, you know, like every person decides what level of, you know, are they going to lie to other people? But other people can be like, hey, lying is bad and you can make your decisions about it. Um, So I don't want to live in a world where people are compelled to act upon the power they have to do good. But yeah, I'm probably going to judge you based on it. And and with some understanding of like, I don't know your circumstances and all that, but all the nuances aside. All right. Rant over. Go. Yeah. So I think you make a really good point <clears throat> about the, the difference kind of between, I guess, relativistic power that comes at the expense of others, right? Mm-hmm. There's power you can have because other people don't have power. And I right. think that's that's largely, that's a social phenomenon. Right. Mm -hmm. And then there's like Superman's power doesn't make other people less powerful. I mean, I guess by comparison, they're less powerful. Right. Like, yeah, the military is less powerful because there's Superman. Right. Just in terms of by comparison. But he's not actually taking power or resources away from anybody else. Um, And in terms of things like like privilege, um, which, again, is a word that I've had thoughts about, but yeah. I, I think if, if we're just going to kind of use it hand wavy, like the, there are resources there, are, this planet has limited resources, right? And, and social power is a thing. And, uh, often one person having more of it means, means someone else has less of it. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. I think there are mm-hmm. other ways that mm-hmm. society could be constructed and that people could live with one another and, with the other inhabitants of the planet um, that, that, you know, things don't have to be a zero sum game, but in many ways things are a zero sum game, right? Like they don't have to be, but that's how some things do function. And Mm -hmm. uh, when they do, then when your power comes at the expense of someone else's, not because you've taken it, but because you've been given it, I do think there is something to be said for like, yeah, maybe, Maybe you should give some of that back, right? Yeah. To, to make things equal as opposed to like, you know, which is completely different from like being born with exceptional intellect or strength or whatever, where it's like that doesn't come at anyone else's expense. That's just right. a natural characteristic of you. And yeah, do, do what you will with that. Um, to right. me, I think to kind of summarize 
what I was saying in the first place. And, and I think a lot of the gist of what you were saying, Matthew, um, you know, at the end of it, it's like, it's your choice, but you know, I may disagree with your choice. Yeah. Like in many ways to me, it's just about compassion. It's about like, like to me, that's what the movie was trying to get at more than anything is it's trying to be like, like, I think so much of, so much of the ways people choose not to act. And, and by the way, I do like the, Martin Luther King in particular had, had a lot of great things to say about this, but I, I, I do hold to some idea, the, the idea of like choosing to do nothing is is a vote in support of the status quo. Like, and that's, you know, not that like that I think idea can be taken yeah. to an extreme, but like that there is something to be said for like when you are in a system of injustice, it is not necessarily your 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 duty to rescue everyone from injustice, but you're participating in that system. And so to some extent you are you know, you're giving more power to that system without challenging it. Um, but to me, what like a movie like Guardians of the Galaxy does is to say people do think people participate in systems that do terrible things to animals far out of their sight. And we want you to have to look at it. We want you to have to look at what goes into the shampoo that you buy that was tested on animals. We want you to have to look into, you know, all these kind of things. And I think often that's 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 what a lot of the, you know, good movies that help to make a point are about, is about helping people to see that who are the people who are suffering and is this something you can have more compassion for than you thought, you know, in a like, you know, telling us when someone has just like, oh, all immigrants are this, all gays are this or whatever, telling a story about that person in a way that draws empathy and compassion. Should I hope make it harder for someone to participate in a system that does harm to those people? Not always, but but often. And I do think that's a part of how I probably judge a person. And I think that's that's also what I would look at this is I would say, if you if every time you walk into a store, you know, Sean just gives this one example, and Sean, again, I'm not calling you out in particular. I'm just using the examples you talk to. You know, I have been in stores where someone yelled at the person for saying they have to wear a mask, and I said something. I've been in stores where I didn't. And sometimes because I didn't feel safe in the situation, other times it was just because I need to get back in my car and go. And sometimes I spoke up, sometimes I, I didn't. Should I have spoken up more? Probably. Should I have spoken up every single time? Maybe. I'm not sure. Um, but if you're a person who just is comfortable never doing that, there's a part of me that's going to wonder, like, well, what, as you said, like you said, Paul, like if you can help, why wouldn't you? And I, 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 on some level, I feel like if you can go through the world seeing suffering around you and never feel a desire to like, it doesn't feel good to me to know that I am doing really well while other people are doing really badly and I'm not working to change that in any way and i think that's where again the response the internal responsibility again comes into me is like it's to me it's not it shouldn't be responsibility it should be i would hope people have some sense of compassion and some sense of empathy of like hey other people are suffering and maybe i can do something to fix that yeah and and you know you can't do everything all the time right yeah but i think it's worth asking yourself like what can you do you yeah. know, and is and by what can you do? It's not even just like physically, possibly like what can you bring yourself to do? You know? Yeah. And yeah, like the, the mask situation, like 
I don't. Th- I actually haven't really been in that situation. Interestingly, but like, um, I mean, but, you just don't go out anywhere near as much as I think. No, I do. but also like you know w- w- when the whole thing started, I was in California, and like, yeah, you're you're not going to get away with that in California. You yeah, know what that's I mean? fair. Like it, it's it's just the balance of, of things is a little different, mm-hmm. and. And by the time I moved to Vegas, like basically people were just like whatever. Um, but I, I think what I would probably end up doing was I, I don't know if I would say something, you know, but I would probably physically align myself in a way that like if they, that hopefully communicated to the person who was getting screamed at that like there was someone physically in their corner and like yeah. if things looked like they were going to escalate i i'm quite certain that i would intervene yeah you know and, and you're also, also because that yeah go ahead like you're someone who you know both is you know you, you are tall and you look able-bodied and you also have quite a lot of martial arts training right um, i would say for me how i react probably is going to be largely dependent on am i standing on two legs or am i in my wheelchair sure um uh, but I know certainly that there were times where, yeah, I didn't feel safe challenging, but I at least went up to the person afterwards. and was like, hey, I just want to know. I, I really appreciate you like working to help make this store safer. You know, things like yeah. That. Yeah. Um, and that's just, that's a, another way of, of, yeah. of trying to support someone basically. And, and I think that's the other key here. And I think this is something that often the great power, great responsibility lacks. And this also goes back to the parasocial relationship. On a general level, I am comfortable saying – the more power you have, the more I want you to be using that power. Um, and particularly if your power is linked to the injustices. Like, you know, for, to me, like, if you're a billionaire, you could give me an extreme, extreme corner case. But but for the most part, if you are a billionaire, there are probably people who you are paying to do work that has helped to generate that money that you have. And my first question is like, well, could you have paid them more and not be a billionaire? I'll like, give you the corner case. Sure. The corner case is like J.K. Rowling. Like J.K. Rowling made a ton of money from writing. That's almost the only thing you can do where the fact that you make a ton of money isn't basically built <clears throat> upon the fact that other people were underpaid. Mm-hmm. And then <clears throat> what are you doing with that? Well, we know what she's doing with it. Right. Right. And, and like I think you said, that's like <clears> – <throat> and even there, like I don't know anything about the publishing deals and like the editors and all that. But you're right. That's probably the closest you can get. I know people would hold up someone like Oprah or like you know other personalities. But even there, it's like, okay, well, how much are the people who work under her like getting paid and all that kind of stuff? Um, but yeah, point point being. But yeah, still it's about so what are you doing with all of that? Um, uh, and that was a tangent to the main point I was going to make, which I've now completely lost. Um, My bad. Oh, but – but what? No, My it's okay. bad. I, I do it all the time. Oh, but just uh, – yeah, again, I think – here's the thing. I, I I, think the flip side of this, and this is the parasocial relationship, is that reminder of I never know what someone else's battle is, you know? And so I – you know, I might look at someone who looks physically imposing and think to myself, oh, yeah, that person should have been involved. I don't know if they got, you know – violence done to them as a kid or something like that or for some other reason like doing that is just not something that they're psychologically or capable of or maybe they have like actually a much worse physical situation than i can see at a glance yeah i i'm very comfortable talking about in the aggregate i think it is better for people in these kind of situations to help in these kind of ways 
But I think, again, with that parasocial relationship, when it becomes, I only see a small part of this person's life, but I know they could be doing this help and they're not, like I think happens with heroes a lot, I do think that's where I can draw the line of being like, I want to encourage people to make what I think are better choices, but I want to be very careful judging any one individual's choice when I don't really know the whole story. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think I can make the uh, individual choice with the power that I have to act responsibly towards our schedules and wrap this conversation up. Uh, We're going to have a quick conversation for the Patreons uh, about a completely different topic, but one that is very dear to Paul and I's heart, Michael Keaton and Batman. Um, But uh, in closing, Paul, for those who are not patrons, uh, where can they find you? Yeah, I'm Zen Madman in a bunch of places. Basically, the only way I interact with a world very much these days is tweeting about chess um and you know so i'm i'm zen madman on twitter and and twitch i'll stream again someday and Uh you know i have a bunch of youtube channels but i haven't made a video in like a year so (laughs) that's fair that's fair um and i am um matthew fox you can find me under the ethical panda i kind of have my uh if you go to the ethical panda you'll find both this and my star wars podcast star wars universe podcast uh, lots of great content there, and most importantly, all of our ways to give us feedback. I promise, like I said, I'm going to try to be a lot better. June is going to be a crazy month, but starting in July, we're going to be a lot more regular with feedback, Get getting back to it on a regular basis. There's a lot that's been coming in. Send us emails. Send us tweets. Find me on TikTok. Find me on Twitter. Let me know what you think. We'd love to hear it. Uh, one quick note. <clears throat> um, Paul didn't hear it, uh, but there's an uh, – I, I am right now kind of in two worlds. This podcast was part of Stranded Panda for a while. I'm still very connected to the Stranded Panda folks and still going to appear on a bunch of Stranded Panda podcasts. But these podcasts are now officially part of a True Story FM family of podcasts where you'll often find Marvel Movie Minute, among other things. A whole bunch of us got together uh, and each made statements about how we're in support of the writer strike that's happening right now uh, that I imagine will still be happening by the time this airs. If it isn't, great. Uh, but you will probably have heard an ad where my voice, along with others, talks about why we're supporting the writer strike. So just a reminder that... Um, we wouldn't have these interesting things to talk about if writers didn't write interesting scenarios for us to talk about. And you got to be good at it. As we said, you know, if the writer's just saying like, hey, here's the point, generally there's not much to talk about. It's the best writing, I think, is ones that um, give some nuance and give some room and either make a point or or often, I think, just leave you with a question. Um, the, uh, the fact that, and again, this is kind of the, the basis of this of this whole podcast, was that Paul and I both watched the movie Civil War in which there was a fundamental conflict between two characters and came out disagreeing on which character is right. And that, you know, I think most people are more on Team Cap's side, but there's good arguments to be made on both. That's phenomenal writing to be able to write a movie where people can come out of that doing that. So again, just support writers. Writers are awesome. AI will never do it, the thing. Um, that's kind of my, you know, I think responsibility we have is not cross that picket line and don't watch AI stuff and all the rest. So uh, you heard that. Uh, patrons, stick around for a little while longer. As for everybody else, we have spoken. I'll co-sign all that except for the anti-robot bigotry. I mean, you know, <laughs> robot writers need to get paid as well once they exist. But right now, what we have is a, a pale limitation. Yes, yes. <laughs> robot writers do. Robot plagiarizers do not. <laughs> yeah. Welcome back. Um, all right, to our patrons, uh, 
because I watched a movie in theaters, I did something that I try mostly to avoid, which is watched a trailer. And I want to talk about the trailer uh, with Paul. And I got Paul's full permission to spoil it because I'm not going to spoil any advanced details. But it's just naming something that I think most of us know already is that Michael Keaton is going to be playing Batman in the Flash movie. And I, I didn't really have any, even a specific question. I just wanted to tell you the experience I had and get your thoughts and kind of mm. launch this conversation. The most recent prequel for it, the first like 30 seconds of the prequel are just about Michael Keaton kind of deciding to be Batman again. And I got really <laughs> excited. Like, there's a Michael Keaton Batman movie coming out? Oh, this, no. This tells, you, this tells you how little I'm actually paying attention these days to things. Yeah. And then I remember – and then like the, the trailer reminded me, oh, wait. No, this is a movie about an emo boy who runs really fast and Michael Keaton's going to be in it, but it's not a Batman movie. I was so crushingly disappointed and it – yeah, just kind of – and granted, I've greatly enjoyed Flash and other things. I've never really enjoyed Ezra Miller's Flash, and certainly there's a lot of stuff about Ezra Miller that's now pretty awful. That's a whole other different topic. Um, and, and maybe this outside of the, the tender loving care of Zack Snyder will be a lot better. But yeah, kind of what you feel about like a bait and switch kind of thing like that of, yeah, we're getting a Michael Keaton Batman, but we're not getting a Michael Keaton Batman movie. We're getting a Flash movie with Michael Keaton Batman in it. Right. Well, so what... Wasn't Michael Keaton in the Batgirl movie that didn't get released? I think that is possible. I think he um, plays Batman in the Batgirl movie that we don't get to see because apparently HBO whatever will make more money by not releasing the movie than by releasing it. Um, and so I had heard about – and when you asked if a spoiler – if it would be okay to give me a spoiler about a preview, I was like, is it this? And you're like, yeah, it's that. I'm like, okay, yeah, that's fine. Um, uh, yeah, he was – I know that um, Bill Murray was supposed to be the villain. But yeah, he was also supposed to be in it. No, not supposed to be in it. They shot the movie. Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like they, they shot the movie and they're like, no, you don't get to see it. And, like, I don't know whether it would have been good or not, but, you know, I would like to have made that choice myself. Yeah. Um, in terms of the Flash movie, oh, I mean, oh, DC, DC, what are you doing to me? Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm not excited to see – I wasn't excited to see the Batman and then I kind of got into the idea of it. And then when I finally did get to see it, I, I was like, this is really good filmmaking, you know? Yeah. Um, I would not have wanted to see a three-hour movie in the theater. <laughs> and I might have enjoyed the movie much less if I hadn't been able to, you know, hit pause when when nature dictated and, you know, just miss some minutes here and there. Um, Michael Keaton's Batman is just fantastic. I love his Batman. I, mm. I really am interested in seeing it again if it's done well. If it's not done well, I'm like – so this whole thing about like making movies like decades later than the previous one came out mm -hmm. is – it's just so rarely good. Yeah. It just so rarely works. Um, I mentioned that I saw the Top Gun movies and I had actually never seen the original. So I saw the original and then the, the sequel, which is uh -huh. like what? Almost 40 years later, right? 37, 36 years later. Um 
it actually worked for me. I mean, I didn't love the movies and obviously there's a lot of military propaganda and, you know, questionable like, uh, why are you going and doing the thing you're doing? Yeah. <laughs> you know, but like in terms of just movie making, I was like, yeah, these are, these are pretty good. And like, I thought the second one was as good as the first one, you know? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the first one didn't have any nostalgia for me. I, yeah. And, and so I think like if you could watch Batman 89 now for the first time, and then watch Michael Keaton's character show up again in the Flash movie. Maybe that's a very different experience than whatever this is going to be. Um, but I did – I already had a pet story, you know, a, a a story that I was I was thinking of actually writing and probably not be able to get made. But I don't know. Maybe. Which is like Batman Beyond. Like someone do Batman Beyond with Michael Keaton. Yeah. You know? Uh, like especially um – if you want to do Michael Keaton Batman Beyond with someone totally new, that could work. But Robert Pattinson could use a mentor. Like, I'd be all for it. Like, it would be it would be somewhat different in that the origin of it would be be different. But like something where like Pattinson Batman and then like you know Michael Keaton kind of maybe you do some weird like you know other dimensional nonsense. That right. That's how Pattinson never knew about the sure. other one. But yeah, like. Michael Keaton comes along and was like, "Yeah, well, I, I'll, I kind of like what you're doing. I'll, I'll kind of help you and maybe be a little bossy and make it work." Cantankerous. Yeah, cantankerous is a good word. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know about that. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> uh, but I, I mean, I could, I could see it working. But I feel like the the Pattinson Batman is the the Matt Reeves Batman is like very grounded. In a yeah. way that, like, please don't multiverse this one. Just don't do it. Yeah. That's Just, fair. like, don't that's do really it. Fair. Please don't do it. Um, you know, I, I I, I, would really like to see a Batman Beyond, though, with, like, um, I think, like, Dallas Liu or someone, I don't know, playing Terry McGinnis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I can see that. Um, yeah. And, heck, but, if, yeah. if people walk away from this movie going, that was a cool movie – Ezra Miller's in jail. Oh, well, no more Flash, but let's right. have more Michael Keaton Batman. Yeah, yeah. I'll be hey, glad. I'll take and it. And I am ready to be – like I, th I think the Flash is a very interesting character. I think Grant Gustin played him phenomenally and I kind oh, of yeah. want to see someone else playing him. And yeah. I said, again, I didn't love Ezra Miller's portrayal of him. That may in part because it was done by the director who I really don't like. I also have seen Ezra Miller and other things and don't like him very much, but I'm open to that. It might be that I'm blown away by this movie, but I'm afraid that I'm going to spend a lot of the movie being, especially if the movie like opens with, a, if it opens with a lot of Flash stuff and then we get Batman, it's going to be fine. But if we spend, if we, if we <laughs> open the movie in the Batcave and yeah. we spend like 15 minutes with Batman and maybe even Supergirl getting involved, and then I have to watch the emo boy who runs fast a lot and be like, no, go go back to the Bat. That's yeah. much more interesting. Those are some of the most frustrating stories for me are when there's like multiple plot lines or yeah. there's a supporting character who I just think is awesome. And then the main part is like just not doing it for me. You know, that's like, that's rough. That was kind of like I, I think that is for, for me what keeps Guardians from being a much better movie than, mm. than, I, than I think it is. Is mm -hmm. like for the first 45 minutes, Rocket is pretty much incapacitated. And so these characters are going to like help him and as they're doing it they're learning things about him that are giving us flashbacks but it's like i don't 
really care about Star Lord. And I You're like, just show me the flashbacks, right? Yeah, just tell me like, that. I, story. Like I said, I think if you just made a rocket movie where the Guardians yeah. show up in the second half once he's back, like that's a much better movie. Right, right. But, but th- there is, you know, there is a responsibility kind of to like when when you're making a trilogy, you know, when you have a franchise. And and I think often that is as uh can be damaging to the story, you know. Yeah. Um where it's like, well, you know, we're trying to wrap everything up. Oh man, trying to wrap everything up is exhausting. You know, it's yeah. like it can be for for the viewer and and for a writer, it's like it's a challenge. It's like it feels like a an unfortunate challenge, you know. And I do think like about halfway through the movie, I was like, I don't know why the Guardians are in this movie. It should just be a rocket movie with Groot mm. and maybe the rest of them showing up at the end. Once we got to the end of the movie, I do think the movie did a better job of anything I've seen of giving all of the members of an ensemble a satisfying yeah. end to their arc over the trilogy and right. over the, the other movies they've been in. Yeah. But. All right. That's about all I got to say on that. Any last things you got to say about – um? Anything? I mean, I didn't see the trailer, so I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to see that Batgirl movie. I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah, that looks fun. That looks fun. All right. Thank you, as always, Paul. To our listeners, thank you so much. We've spoken. And now we won't. <laughs> this is not the way. This is not the way.